Worshipfulness Exposed from the sermon series Beyond the Building, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, when I think about our history, our 14-year history, uh, April 4th of 2004 was by far the most important day in the history of our church. Uh, God took a group of 11 people, and they believed in a vision that most people didn't believe. And I shared probably about 85, 90 people in this area, and 11 stuck with it. And uh, we believed that we could be a church where God can transform people's lives. And I think that's not necessarily a very unique thing, because I think a lot of churches will say the same thing. But our philosophy and how we did that was very different. It was done by finding our commonality through our weaknesses and our brokenness and our pain. And that was the thing, I think, that, that kind of deterred people away from our church. They're like, what? You want us to like, be open and sharing our pain? And they said, well, we'll see you later. And they walked out. And they didn't want to be a part of a church like Metro. But 11 of us believe that that's what could happen. And in the past 14 years, God's richly blessed our church in that way. And you know, those 14 years, when we first started, I had no idea if this thing was going to really work or not. It was kind of this idea, this philosophy. And I said, but that's really all I can offer the church is my pain and what I've gone through in my own life. And it's been rich in seeing kind of how God's been growing our church and, and uh, the stories and how people have been connecting with one another through their pain and experiencing this amazing thing where Jesus promises Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, it's only in your weakness when my strength will be perfected in you. Paul was praying, he said, would you please take away this thorn on my side? It's bothering me. Most scholars believe that that was like a physical issue that he was having and he was asking for physical healing, but Jesus said no. He says, because it's in your weakness where my strength will be perfected in you. And then Paul, at the end of, of, of chapter 12, in that passage, says, well, then I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's strength can live in me. And that was the vision of this church. And in these 14 years, God brought such a rich diversity of people because that was our vision, because our commonality was our pain and was our brokenness, and we experienced God's perfect strength through it. He's brought people from all walks of life, from the youngest person to the oldest, to folks who are retired today and living in retirement, right? He's brought people from all different walks of life ethnically. We have over 30 ethnicities, people from different countries represented here at Metro Community Church, and we're so grateful for that. We have people from all different uh, areas of socioeconomic class, and that's even more remarkable if you study social science, where where sociologists will say, that's pretty remarkable that somebody who's actually quite wealthy and lives in a different zip code can actually connect and maybe even submit on the leadership of somebody who maybe doesn't have as much money as they do. They're a different level of socioeconomic class. And God's was such an immense diversity of, of people within our church that makes Metro Community Church that we can come here today, 14 years later, and thank God and see that with these 11 people who really had nothing to offer, we just said we maybe can believe in something like this and how God's blessed our community 14 years later. He's blessed us for over 800 people. Hundreds of people have come and found Jesus Christ. People have been baptized. Children have been born into this church. People have been healed as a result of it and we just have to thank God for that. But it would not have happened if it wasn't for April 4th of 2004, the most important day in the history of our church. Today, On June 3rd of 2018 marks the second most important day in the history of our church because what God is encouraging us to do is like the 11 who just kind of started this thing not knowing if it was going to work out, that he wants us to come together and he wants us to be a part of something that we've been calling in this this campaign called Beyond a Building that God would encourage us to go now and to find a permanent home for Metro Community Church and Metro Community Center. 
That this will be a place where those two, thing, those two groups can come together. We can serve the people in our community here at Metro Church from all ages to people here in this community and all over the world. That's the vision that God has for us. And he's inviting us to be a part of that today. And so thank you for joining us today. We're going to have a tremendous day of celebrating. I know Sunita already kind of shared some of the great things that we're going to do. But what today is really about is coming together where we can worship God. And as we worship God, what he desires for you and for me is that he wants our very best. God desires your very best today as you come and as you worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we also come and worship him through our money today, that God wants our very best. And my hope is that we would be able to do that today. When we looked at Nehemiah and we started this series, I mean, I just still remember last year when we're thinking about what's, what are we going to do? How are we going to communicate this series or, or this campaign to our people? And we just said, well, maybe Nehemiah would be the right book to kind of focus on. And I didn't know how amazing this would be for us as a church community. Because when we started this campaign six weeks ago, we didn't have a, a building that we can kind of point you to and say that we want to sort of pursue this place here in Englewood. We didn't have that, but Nehemiah helped us with that because in chapter one, remember when he heard about Jerusalem? He was devastated by that news. He wasn't even from Jerusalem. He was probably born someplace in the Persian province, right? And he was a cupbearer to the king. And when he heard that news, Nehemiah was so broken by it because his ancestors, he is from Jerusalem. He is Jewish. And when he heard that news, it broke his heart to the point where he prayed for four months and fasted for four months, seeking God's direction, and God led him then to have enough boldness to go before the king and to ask the king if he would send them for a period of time to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city that lies in ruins. That's what he did. And the king blessed them and said, do it. And we, during that time, as our leaders got together and we did prayer walks around Englewood, we sensed that God was leading us. And really it was through Nehemiah's leading that... Liberty School, which we announced last Sunday, is that we're going to really try and pray that God would open a door for us to obtain Liberty School as the future home of Metro Community Church and Metro Community Center. And it really, it, it lends itself so well to, and, and so beautifully with Nehemiah because as Nehemiah went to the king and asked if he can go back to Jerusalem because the city lies in ruins, God is now encouraging us now to go to the leaders of this community and ask them if we can go and rebuild Liberty School because it lies in utter ruins. The building is uninhabitable, and God is encouraging us to try and give this a shot. We're going to give it a Herculean effort. We're going to fight, and we're going to do whatever we can to make that happen. And so we're excited about that. And so God has led us through that. And then we looked at Nehemiah, and when Kevin spoke, and he talked about everyone coming together to rebuild these walls. And these walls were massive. They were two and a half miles long, 40 feet high, eight feet thick. And everyone came and rebuilt these walls. Perfume makers. These guys weren't just experts in construction. No, everyone came to do this. And it was amazing as that happened. They all came together and they were doing this and they rebuilt the walls together. It required everyone. No one was left out. Every person had to pitch in to make this happen. And today as we're here on Celebration Sunday, it's going to require every single one of us to do our part to serve and to also give so that we can reach our goal, so that we can, we can eventually obtain a space here, which we hope and believe it's going to be Liberty School. And so that was great. But then we were reminded also that there's going to be opposition when this happens. And we learned that there was going to be oppositions. And we were introduced to Sambayla, Tobiah, and Geshem. 
and how these three adversaries, these governors of their own land, really came against Nehemiah and the people of God, and they were frightened, they were nervous that their family was going to get killed. I mean, there were some serious threats that came against them, and Nehemiah taught us how we can overcome those oppositions and how we can even use the fear to become fuel so that we can take greater steps of faith. And then in Nehemiah chapter 8, well, we couldn't get to it, but what I loved about that chapter was that he had everyone sit down, uh, the people of God, and then Ezra gets up, and Ezra reads the word of God for about three hours or so all morning. And you need to understand that that's an illiterate community. So they don't get it. They can't just read the word of God like you and I can. They have to hear it from a, from a prophet like Ezra. And so Ezra came up and he started reading the word of God for hours upon hours. And as they were hearing the word of God, you know what they concluded? They concluded that they were living contrary to how God wanted them to live. That they had forgotten what the law was really about. And so what the people of God did was that they congregated and they all repented and asked God to forgive them so that they could live more radically for him. That was chapter 8. And today in chapter 12, the people of God come together and they're going to dedicate the wall to God. And they worship him in such spirit and truth. And today on this Sunday, the second most important day in the history of our church on June 3rd, God is going to teach us how we can worship him in spirit and in truth how we can truly worship him by giving him our very best because God demands his very, your very best for him. He wants you to give yourself to him at the highest level that you possibly can because he has given to you at the highest level that he possibly can. And that's what he's going to do for us today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to learn how we can give God our very best in worship today as we celebrate this uh, Sunday. All right, look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27. I'm going to look at um, 27 and following. This is what goes on. This, think about what Nehemiah, the detail in which he shares this and how he worships God and how he gets the people of God to worship our God. Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the village of the Netophanites, from Beth Gilgal, and from, all, from the area of, G of Geba and Asmaveth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate, Hoshahiah, and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zukur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. Basically, what's happening here is that he is gathering the best musicians, the best talent of their day. It's kind of like the Grammys on steroids. 
That's what it's like here, all right? I know you hear all these weird names, but think about like, you know, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Jay-Z, Beyonce. I mean, these are the greatest musicians of their day that have gathered together to worship their God. Verse 37, at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate of the east, on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim, the Jashana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred. As far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I together with half the officials as well as the priests, Eliakim, Masaiah, Minamim, Micaiah, Eloani, Zechariah, and Hanani with their trumpets. And also Masaiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehohanan, Melakajah, Elam, and Ezar. The choir sang under the direction of Jezariah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Beautiful. I love that. They, they were able to hear, people were able to hear it from far away. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we come to you today on no ordinary Sunday, and we ask that you would just come and speak to us, encourage us, and help us to see, God, where you're leading us as a church. But most of all, God, I pray all of us would be able to worship you by giving you our very best today, the way the people of God did many, many, many thousands of years ago. And so, God, we pray that you would unify our church as we participate and celebrate the great things that you're going to do in our church and its future. And so we thank you so much for this time. And I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray that it would be a sweet fragrance and it would be uh, deeply pleasing unto you. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, so when you think about worshiping God, what you got to think of the word uh, that's synonymous to worship or the word that God wants you to sort of hone in on when you worship him is this word adore. All right, it's the word adore. Now, when you think about the word adore or that word adoration, how would you define it? I think sometimes when we see little kids, we're like, oh, they're so cute. And you think adore is like to find something or someone to be very cute. That's not what that word means. When you look it up in the dictionary, the word adore means to love and respect someone deeply. And that's what that means. And that's what worship is all about. How you worship God is loving and respecting him deeply. That's really what worship is about today. So today, as God demands your very best, what he demands of you is that you would love and respect him deeply. Can I get an amen? Is he worthy of our respect? Is he worthy of our love, church? He is, isn't he? And so God demands that from you and from me today, that we would love and respect him deeply. And so when we think about that, the people of God in Nehemiah's time were able to do that in Nehemiah 12. How were they able to do that? Well, there are three things that we see here. The first is this. We worshipfully adore God through joyful celebration. We worshipfully adore God through joyful celebration. How many of you in this room are really good at celebrating? Like you're excellent at it. Listen, I am... Very bad at this. I am not a great celebrator. My wife is a lot better. Her and her friends in this church, they celebrate all the time to 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. They did, it right, they did it this Friday. I mean, they celebrate in ways that I can't even celebrate. But what I find with many of us as Christians is that one thing is that we just don't know how to celebrate well. And we have so much to celebrate today over 
We have so much reason to be joyful today in the presence of God, no matter what you've gone through in your life. And the reason why that's the case was that the people of God were celebrating because God had been faithful to rebuilding those walls. And they should have celebrated that. But you and I should celebrate the goodness of who God is simply because he has sent us Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to enter into human history, to die for us on the cross and resurrect from the dead. For what? Why did God do that? Because he loves you, yes, and so that he can forgive you of your sins if you ask for it and so that you can, have, you can go to heaven when you die. Yes, that's true. But the primary reason why God did that was so that he can have a relationship with you that he really longs to have a relationship with you. Listen, the older I'm getting, I'm realizing how important relationships are with me. When I was in my teens and I was in my early 20s, I didn't care as much about relationships because all I cared about back in those days was ambition. That's what really kind of, kind of gazed my eye. That's the thing that I only looked at is my ambition in life. And I didn't care about relationship. And as I get older now, and I'm in my mid-40s now, I really realize how important these relationships that God has given to me, these a few relationships in my life that I've been able to kind of grow deeply within. And it's changed me in every way. But the relationship that I'm most grateful for is my relationship with God. Listen, if you are not grateful and thankful for the relationships that you have and you don't value relationships that you have today, then it's, by, it's almost uncertainty that you don't value relationship with God. It's impossible to value a relationship with someone you don't see when you can't value a relationship with people that you can't see. Does that make sense? And so we should celebrate no matter what we go through in life, no matter what we experience, no matter what doldrums we enter into life. Why? Because God is in a relationship with us and what that means is that he is willing to journey with us at the deepest and darkest places that we may be willing to go in life or that we unfortunately have to go in life. That is something that you and I should always celebrate over, that we have a relationship with God that's willing to take us there, that God is not just the God that you pray for and he just does some things in your life, sprinkles a blessing here, sprinkles a blessing there. Man, if that's all what this Christian faith is all about, then it's no wonder why we, some of us struggle with our faith in God. Because the essence and the heart of why we believe in God is so that we can have a relationship with the very God who created us, Amen. And for that, you and I should celebrate today. We should truly celebrate and give God our very best because God desires to be in a relationship with you and me, even when we mess up, even when we fall short and we screw up at times. That because of his grace and his mercy and his willingness to forgive us, that he's willing to do that. Look at verse 43. Verse 43, it says, And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The rejoicing was so loud that people from other neighborhoods was able, were able to hear the rejoicing and the celebrating. And we have to learn to do that. Today, on the second most important day in the history of our church, Metro, we need to celebrate. As we come forward with that three-year pledge that we want to make a financial commitment that's above and beyond our normal offering, my hope is that you would come here and that you would celebrate the goodness of God. You would celebrate the goodness of God over the years of you being a part of this church and how God's impacted your life as well. And you would celebrate the potential of what God is going to do in the future of this church. And what we're doing here today is as we come and as we offer our gifts and our, our financial sort of pledges, what we're doing is we're making a thundering statement to God and to everyone else in this church that we believe that Metro's best days are not behind us, but they're ahead of us. Amen? 
That's what this is about today. That's why we celebrate. That's why it's so important. Because even after 14 years and the rich history that sustains this church, the narrative over the past 14 years that God has been able to write, we come together today believing that the narrative going forward in this church is going to be richer and deeper and even better than the past 14 years. And that's why we celebrate. We celebrate that because, yes, it won't just all be kumbaya goodness. There will be hardships. There will be trials. But we celebrate because no matter what, we have a relationship with God, all of us. And if we're in it together, we can accomplish anything the way the people of God did. They rebuilt those walls in 52 days, which is remarkable when there was no machinery back in those days. If we come together, we can do anything because God is with us, not against us. We can celebrate the goodness of God and We just have to learn to celebrate more together as a church and even in our own lives. I do hope you would do well in your own personal lives to celebrate more of you, more of what happens in your life. You know, I've been so bad at this that, uh, you know, one of my best mentors that's helped me to celebrate is my buddy Alex. I mean, when he throws a birthday party, he goes all out, all out. I mean, on his 50th, we went to the Bahamas. And he expected me to buy a ticket to go to the Bahamas to celebrate with him. I'm like, what? That's a lot of money. But he's like, celebrate five decades of God's blessing on my life, Peter. And I just learned, I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm horrible at celebrating. I think with Christians, because we're always thinking about, you know, like Christians, and, and because of some of our history and how we've been grown up, we feel like Christians should be more serious than have fun. And somehow we feel like fun's not spiritual. Celebrating is not spiritual, but it's extremely spiritual. It really is. And, uh, you know, this uh, two weeks ago, Doug got married, Pastor Doug and Sonia got married uh, over uh, at, uh, at, what was that place called? Rockley Country Club. And, uh, you know, Doug and uh, they, they look so great. It was one of my favorite weddings. And one, ma- the main reason why is because, man, I've been discipling Doug since he was working on Wall Street when he was sort of wanting to work and make a lot of money and kind of go that route. But then God, he came to this church and God started to really grab him. And he really had to wrestle with this calling to go into ministry. And he wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not because his father, would, he felt, would excommunicate him if he went into ministry. And so he really struggled with it. And I still remember the times we had some really deep conversations when I did my sabbatical in Korea. And he was there teaching English. And we spent some time just talking about this on a bus and on a subway and in my home when I was staying at. And we're just kind of talking about through all this. And just to be at the wedding and to see him, like, get married and to see him be this great young pastor and, and how he's just continuing to grow as a leader, man, I was so happy for him. And Sonia, man, his wife, she looked beautiful. But I remember Sonia when she was on the breakdown ministry of this church, and someone gave me sort of an inside information that this woman used to lead worship at her old church in Queens. And I saw her doing breakdown. Nothing wrong with the breakdown ministry. I love the breakdown ministry, one of the most important ministries in the church. And I said, Sonia, I'm glad you're doing breakdown. But I was like, why aren't you in the worship team? I heard you could used to lead worship. And she just kind of said, well, I'm not sure. I said, why don't you give it a shot? And remember when Sonia first started? I mean, you probably don't remember, but I do. And like everyone who kind of starts out with worship, they kind of start off very shy and timid. But man, when Sonia, Sonia sings now, it's like a voice of an angel, isn't it? 
I mean, it's just so anointed and so powerful. So these two were there getting married. And so I was there celebrating with them. And I wanted to celebrate more, but I just, I, I didn't know how to. And, and let me tell you, this was the, one of the fewest, few Asian weddings I've ever been to where almost everyone danced. <laughs> almost everyone, right? And I think the reason why, show that picture of a dance floor. You got it, guys? All right, maybe not. Maybe we'll show it a little later when you guys find it, all right? But the dance floor, I mean, everyone went out to dance. I, I couldn't get my wife to come and sit and eat. She kept wanting to dance and dance. And, you know, Doug's a dancer. He's got a dance team with him, my Metro dance team. They all dance. His groomsmen can all dance. One of his groomsmen was doing head spins on the dance floor, break dancing. I mean, that's how good of a dancer they were. And then let me tell you guys, I mean, I don't usually like to, I don't even want to dance at these things. But because I was so happy for Doug, I was dancing in my spirit. <laughs> I was dancing. I mean, I was busting moves. I know my body could not do, but I was dancing in my spirit. And there was a part of me that just wanted to get up and just start dancing with them. Right? People started grabbing me. Come on, come up, come up. Dance. And I was like, no, you can't make me do what I don't want to do. <laughs> so I sat on my chair for two reasons. Number one. I'm a pretty bad dancer, and I didn't want to embarrass myself, right? Like, I think I could do some things, like, in my mind, but then when I try it on the dance floor, I know it never looks like what I see in my mind. And so I don't want to embarrass myself, so I want to do it. And the second reason why I didn't do it is just kind of how I grew up in my own Christian tradition. Pastors should not be dancing, to secular music especially. And so, like, you know, I remember looking at Kevin. He wasn't dancing. David wasn't dancing. I'm like, well, my boys aren't dancing. I should be dancing. Maybe if we all three of us went together. I'm not blaming them. No, no, no. I'm not blaming them. Please. But I was just like, they're not dancing. I was like, I'm just going to sit. I'm not going to dance. But in my spirit, I was jumping, and I wanted to dance. And I wanted to celebrate, but I didn't. I remember just kind of thinking about that. And, 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 I, and I do reflect a lot. And I say, God, why, why did I not do it? I mean, why? Because it was such a joyous moment. And a part of that was shame. Part of that was just my tradition. And I just said, you know, going forward, if I go to another wedding, and you can't force me to dance, but if I go and I feel like, and I'm, I'm in a celebratory mood, I'm just going to go and dance. I don't care what you say. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. No, 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 no. You don't got to clap on that. No, no, no. That wasn't shared so you could clap. No. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to miss another celebration like that. And Metro, God doesn't want you to miss a celebration today. He doesn't want you to miss what we should be celebrating as a community. That he's sustained us for the past 14 years. And that he wants to continue to sustain us. But he's got better and greater things for us going forward. And he doesn't want us to miss the celebration. So today, I hope your heart is filled with joy. I hope you're ready to celebrate with us together as we come and as we declare that we're going to serve God in this church, that we're going to make a financial commitment so that a building could be built or can be renovated so that we can do ministry and serve God's people so that people can experience that Metro Community Church, Metro Community Center is an outpost of the kingdom of God. That's what we're coming to celebrate today. Second thing. We worshipfully adore God through grateful thanksgiving, through grateful thanksgiving. Look at verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. 
I had the leaders of Judah, verse 31, I'm sorry, verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. The people of God came together. They had their best musicians go up and they gave thanks to God and they literally itemized their thanks. And I think it's important for you and I to regularly itemize our thanksgiving to God. That there should be always some things you and I should be thankful for. One of the best advice I like to give in any counseling session is I tell people, when you wake up tomorrow morning for the next month, every day, thank God for five things in your life. You have to be able to find at least five things you can thank God for. The people of God came together and they gave God their very best in worship because they truly thank God that God has sustained them and helped them to rebuild, to rebuild these walls. That there were moments when they were struggling even with their own strength, that they were getting weary because they were doing this. This was a massive structure. None of them had experience building this wall. Very few of them ever did. And yet they did it and that God sought them through, through his grace and generosity, that he gave them the good graces to finish building the wall, that they all played a major role in that. So they thank God for that. They thank God that God protected them and their family from the opposition because the opposition really tried to discourage them, tried to discourage their family, even post posted threats about killing their family so that they can stop building the wall. But they trusted the Lord, that the Lord would protect them. And so they did. And so they thanked God for that. They thanked God that they were able to do this in, in such a fast, fast fashion. They did it in 52 days. And so they itemized their thanksgiving and they truly thanked God. Metro, you and I have so much to be thankful for. One of most is, of course, our relationship with God that we should always be thankful for today. You should always have something to thank God for. And are you thankful for Metro? Are you thankful for this church? Thank you. Because, I mean, listen, I was with a couple a couple weeks ago, and they shared with me, they said, Peter, this is, we just want to thank you for Metro Kids. I said, oh, okay. And, you know, and I just was thankful for that because, you know, I don't really serve in Metro Kids. But they said, you know, our kids are learning the Bible. I was sharing the story in the Bible, and my daughter corrected me and said, that's wrong. That what she learned in Metro Kids was this. And then they checked and they realized that she was right. And so this mom said, thank you because you're teaching the Bible to my children. You're helping them to learn the word of God much better than we can. And I was like, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. When I meet people who are truly thankful, in my eyes, and I know in God's eyes, they are the wealthiest people out there. They have a wealth that none of us in this room could even come close to because they can thank God. And the people who are the most thankful are always the ones who don't have much, like stuff and money. They're always the most thankful. It's amazing. When I go to Africa, the most thankful people I meet are these Africans where they have nothing and yet they're so thankful for God's good graces upon their life. It's amazing to see that. Someone that uh, I'm going to embarrass, she has no idea, but uh, I'm going to share this about her. But uh, Mama Moore, in my opinion, is probably one of the most thankful people I've ever met. I love being around her. That's her, that's her baby, her grandson. <clears throat> Mama Moore came to this church about four years ago, hurt by her previous church. She was from the South. She was hurt by her previous pastor. So she had some skepticism when she came here. She'd never been a part of a multi-ethnic church. She was always a part of a black church. But she walked in here and she experienced God in such a, uh, such a unique way, and she's never left. And, and I'm telling you, this woman has got such a gift. Um, her heart are for hurting people, like really for hurting people. We've been able to go to hospitals together where people in our church are in their deathbed. And I'm so glad she was with me because she's so much better at it than me, but she walks in, 
And it's like the love of God just descending upon that room where she offers love and comfort to everyone in that room. And it's just, you should see her in action. It really is remarkable to see that. I've been hanging out with her every Friday mornings at six o'clock at our prayer meeting. She comes every Friday morning and every Friday morning, she is just thankful for God's goodness upon her life. Every Friday morning, we hear it. And, and um, for the past three years, her greatest prayer request was always about her son, Wayne. Wayne and I are good friends. I, I was privileged to do his wedding about a year and a half ago. And, you know, Wayne had a real tough childhood and a tough past. And, and she always prayed that God would be able to, to save him, that he would be able to have a relationship with God, that he would not go back to doing some of the things he did in the past that would get him in trouble and things like that. And every day, every week for three years, she always said, could you please pray for my son, Wayne? And two weeks ago, she turns on her phone and she shows all of us of her son standing up at church in front of the altar, giving his life to Jesus Christ. Yes. There she is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm surprised you're even here, Mama, because I'm sure you went to the to early service. But her son was reconfirmed of his faith today at church. And so she, for first service, she was there at his son's church, and she was there celebrating her son recommitting his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, when we sit down, and there was a guy at our prayer meeting today. He comes in and he goes, I'm sorry, but I got to leave, like, early today, like 645. I got to take my daughter to school. And we said, no problem. We totally understand that. Thank you for coming. And so, and then, you know, we're sitting down getting ready to pray. Mama starts sharing how thankful she is about everything. And, I mean, it's just the presence of God is so thick. We prayed the guy stayed later, past 7. And after we're done, I'm like, hey, you got to go take your daughter to school. And he goes, Pastor, when the presence of God is here, I can't just get up and leave. I just have to be here and connect with God in that way. And he's like, that woman, my goodness, the presence of God in her life is so thick. Amen. And I would say the reason why is because she's one of the most thankful people that you'll ever meet. And I hope that you will today as well. Hope that you would learn this discipline of being thankful to God. And, we, and the way that you can learn to be thankful to God is not when you have stuff or excess I find that the only way you can be thankful is when you're living in scarcity and when you're living through some very dark times. And if you can be thankful in the midst of that, that's a beautiful thing. That truly is a beautiful thing. And so can you be thankful today? Are there some things you can be thankful to God about? Yeah, your life may not be perfect. I'm sure there's some things that you would like God to do in your life. But can you thank him because you have him and he's there and he's present with you and he's living in a relationship with you and he's willing to go through the ups and downs with you in life. He is willing to go all the way with you in that. Can you thank him for that today? Can you thank him as you come forward today to give your financial pledge to worship God in that way? Can you thank him that he's given you an opportunity to be a part of something that how many other of our friends and family will ever be a part of? We're also, I mean, I'm sure our friends and family will be a part of maybe building a church building, but Metro Community Church is not just going to be a church building. It's going to be a community center as well, and it'll be the first community center in the history of the city. Where else are we going to be a part of something that, can, that, can, that where we can leave a lasting legacy behind? God is encouraging us to be thankful today, but the more you want more in life, the less thankful you will become. And so stop asking for more. Be happy with what you have right now. And thank God for what you have right now. And if the more happens, then thank God. But may that not lead for more thanks because you're already thankful today in your scarcity. That's my hope and prayer for you because that's exactly how these people live their lives.
They were in scarcity. They hadn't worked in a few months. And they were living paycheck to paycheck. But they still thank God. They still thank God. The very last thing, we worshipfully adore God through total surrender, through total surrender. Look at verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes from the fields around the towns. They were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for musicians and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portions for other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portions for the descendants of Aaron. The people of God came together, and they surrendered themselves completely to God. Worship, at the end of the day, is about you surrendering yourself to God completely. We, we love and respect God deeply when we surrender all that we have to him. Today is a really important question that you have to ask yourself, that God wants to ask you. Will you surrender all that you have to him today? Will you surrender your children to him today? Will you surrender your situation today to him? Will you surrender your own life to him today. You know, I, it's so, you know, as I talk to Christians, it's interesting because some Christians think that if they surrender their life to God, that God is going to make their life miserable. Like some people, like they think, oh yeah, you know, like I don't want to like go to like a third world country and live there for the rest of my life. I'm afraid God's going to ask me to do that. If you don't want to do that, why would God ask you to do that? You know how much you're going to complain? Could you remember when your parents made you do things you didn't want to do? How did that work out for your relationship with your parents? Think it worked out well? No, it doesn't. God knows what's best for you. You talk to anyone who's surrendered their life to God and they're doing the things that God's called them to do, no one would ever say that they're not having fun. No one would say that they're not feeling fulfilled. They're saying, this is the life that God's called me to live. And it may not be the easiest. It may be hard, but God is leading me to that. And today, worship is about you surrendering because when we can surrender our lives to God and surrender everything to him, you know what we find? Rest. And we find this presence. And some of you really need to find his presence and rest today. You really do. You need to learn to delight in him. But you can't because you haven't surrendered things. And when you don't surrender things to God, because God created you for this relationship, and in a relationship, you have to be willing to surrender your things and even the things you may want to keep for the sake of the one that you love and that you're in a relationship with. Whenever you're in a relationship with someone, surrendering to one another is very important in order for that relationship to continue and to be healthy. And that's why if you're married and you cheat on your spouse, there is a deep relational pain that you've caused because you should have surrendered all of those desires for other women or other men just for your spouse. Right? You expect that. You expect nothing less. And God wants you to surrender everything to him today. The people of God, they surrendered everything. And you know what happened? Like, when you know what happens with people who surrender regularly, you know what they really care about? They care about obeying God. That really becomes like a premium in their life. Obedience becomes important to them. 
And they want to obey God, not so that God can accept them. They obey him because God's already accepted them. And they do that just out of this relationship that they have with them. And they do the best they can in obeying God because they know that's the way for them to continue to have a deeper and healthier relationship with him. And today God wants you to surrender. Surrender everything. The people of God surrendered, even their finances. They were, a lot of them were struggling financially. They gave till it hurt them. It really did hurt them. They didn't have much. Their families were starving, and yet they still came and they tied and they gave above and beyond so that the temple and everything else can be supported so that God's presence could be sustained with everyone who called themselves a Jewish person. That they believed in that. And so today, I know you came here and you thought of a certain amount that you wanted to support this church and for our Beyond the Building campaign. Now, that's wonderful. But I guess the question that I have for you today is that did you surrender that amount to God? Did you really surrender that amount to God or did you kind of like kind of think it through and say, well, realistically speaking, this is kind of a manageable amount. I just want to ask you, did you surrender it to God? Because if you did, then that's all God asks. Because then God will bless it. And when God blesses that, then God will bless you as you come forward today. My wife and I, we talked about how much we could give. And, uh, and I just, very, just being very honest with you, we, we, we know that we have... We're going to have some serious bills to pay in, in uh, next year of September because my daughter's going to go to college. And even state schools cost $30,000 a year now. It's ridiculous. And so that's a huge bill for us that we have to pay. And so we kind of thought, okay, how much can we give to this building campaign? And we thought of a safe number, but a number that was going to stretch us regardless. And we surrendered that to the Lord. We said, is this, is this right? Is this the amount that you want us to give to the building campaign? And it was at that moment where we both realized that it was not the right amount, that God wanted us to give more, to stretch ourselves and just to trust in him, that we, because I'm the leader of this church, I have to be the one that sets that sort of precedence and I have to be the one, if anything, that's willing to make the greatest sacrifice for this. And so we put a number down there and, it, and it's, I'm shaking in my boots thinking about it. I really am. But we're gonna just trust in the Lord. And what I've learned over the past um, 13 years, as I've, my wife and I have been doing this 1% increase of tithe every year, I've learned that I could never outgive God. That every time I try, he always beats me. He kills me in that. And so as you give today, know this truth. You're never going to outgive God. And when the people of God did this and they came together, you know what happened? They became unified. And that's what's going to happen today. God wants to unify our church more so than ever before. That he wants to unify our body, that we would be unified in his vision, that what he wants to call us to do and what he has planned for us as a community here at Metro Community Church. He's going to unify us. And money should not divide us. And I know sometimes it does. You know, like um, money divides marriages many times. Money can divide churches. And some of you have been a part of churches where money has de destroyed the church, and I get that. But guys, I want you to know there's also great stories of churches where money has brought the churches together and has unified churches and, has done and they've been able to do tremendous things for the people of God. And so I believe that today what we're going to do, God's going to unify us in such a beautiful way. And as he does that, you know what's going to be really the most beautiful thing about this and what the people of God didn't know? See, they were rejoicing and they were giving and they were so happy and they were celebrating giving thanks because their city had been rebuilt. But what they didn't realize was that it wasn't just so that their city could be rebuilt that was happening. It was that they were preparing the way for Jesus Christ that they didn't realize. And what you and I may not realize simply is this. What we're going to do today, yes, it is so that we can build a building. 
somewhere here in Englewood to serve our community. We hope it's going to be Liberty School. But more importantly, what we're doing is we're preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by continuing to love and serve lost people so they can find Jesus in a beautiful way. And then as we continue to do that, more and more people will come to know Jesus Christ, experiencing this relationship with him that will be so vibrant where they too will go out and share and connect with other people in that way. And so as we do this, that we're preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come back. And then God will say, well done, folks. Good and faithful servants. Pastors can be some of the most competitive people out there. I don't know if you ever played with pastors in basketball. I don't like playing with pastors in basketball because it's anything but spiritual. In seminary, I almost got into a fist fight with some pastors because we played, you know, we had, a, we had a, a, a basketball league in seminary and it was bad. Some of these guys played college basketball. And after that, I, said, I don't know if I want to play basketball with, with pastors again. I got invited recently to play some basketball at a, at a church in Norwood for just pastors only. And I said, I don't even want to do that, man, because pastors are competitive. They're so competitive. And sometimes they are like that as well. They can get very territorial, even in church as well. And, uh, and it's, it's unlike, it's, it's not often that you'll see pastors that will just kind of support you and cheerlead you on and trying to do what God's called you to do. They're very rare to find, in fact. Um, when we first came back 14 years ago from California, I went to my home church and I said, hey, would you just bless our church, this church plan? I share that with the, my old church. And... Um, you know, long story short, the pastor said, no, we won't. And that really hurt me. And I just said, I don't ever want to be like that. That if there's somebody planning a church or doing a church a block away from us and they ask for a blessing, I'm going to bless them. Why would I not? Because hopefully that church could reach more people, right? It's just weird that how sometimes we get territorial with stuff like this. And it's not a healthy thing, right? And stuff. And so, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been great that God's been allowing me to develop some really good relationships with some pastors. But one of, my, one of my pastor friends that I've been connecting with a lot these days, I met him last year, Reverend Preston Thompson. And he pastors a church in Englewood called the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Englewood. Two weeks ago, I was there, and I spoke at his church for his 105th year anniversary, and it was just wonderful to be with his congregation. And, you know, about, about four or five weeks ago, um, Preston came, uh, sent the letter to our church, and I, I didn't know he was going to do it, but he sent the letter, and he, and, and he wrote it to you, because he said, Dear Metro family, and I wanted to read you this letter. Here's what it says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this letter finds you blessed in the joy of the Lord. I'm contacting you concerning the Beyond the Building campaign. I believe that God has divinely connected me with Pastor Peter and the Metro family to do great work in the Englewood community. This fellowship has been a tremendous blessing to me in the Ebenezer Baptist Church, and I pray that the feeling is mutual. To show my support for the building campaign, the ministry at Metro, I am pledging X amount of dollars, I'm not going to tell you how much he's pledging, toward the Beyond the Building campaign to be paid in installments. Encloses the first payment toward that pledge. May the Lord continue to bless you richly as you endeavor to do God's will on this earth. He was the first one to make a commitment to our Beyond the Building campaign. And I called him, I just said, Preston, you don't know how much this means to me. That another pastor from another church a few blocks away from here believes that God is doing something real unique here at Metro and that he wants to support it. You know what he's telling his black pastor friends in this area? He's saying, it's, it's interesting. He goes, listen, it's not just us black people that want to impact this community. He's like, there's a, there's a Korean folk, there's some Asian people that really care about this stuff. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah, he's like, I want to introduce you to this Korean pastor 
that has a passion. And he's telling everyone about this stuff. Preston's going to try to be here um, in a few minutes. He wants to join us in the celebration. I called him the other day. I said, it would mean a lot to us if you can join us for the celebration. And he said he'll do whatever he can to be here. He's got some stuff going on at church afterwards, but he's going to try to be here. But I was just so touched by that, and I thanked him for it. And I'm here to just tell you today that this is a glorious day in our church's history. Second most important day in the history of our church. And I'm grateful that there's other pastors that have churches just a few blocks away from here that see what God is doing and they want to bless it and be a part of it. Will you today as well? Will you be a part of what God wants to do in the history of this church? Believing that our best days are still ahead of us and that you would give God your very best because that's what worship is about. Will you celebrate? Will you thank God? for allowing you to be a part of something like this? And will you surrender all that you have to him so that his kingdom can be advanced here in this church and all over the world and in Englewood? That's my hope and my prayer for you. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.